0: I've heard many a preacher, indeed many a church historian, say America's greatest ever theologian was Jonathan Edwards. Now, if you're into theology, if you're into church history, you'll know the name Jonathan Edwards, arguably one of the greatest minds uh, ever produced, um, a remarkable theologian. There is only one problem with that claim, and it's this. Jonathan Edwards was not American. Yes, he was born in Connecticut. Yes, he died in New Jersey. Yes, he lived in America all of his life. But strictly speaking, Jonathan Edwards cannot be considered America's greatest theologian because he lived in a unique moment in American history where America, or the part of America he lived in, was under the crown. If you'd asked Jonathan Edwards what was his nationality, he would have said British. He was a loyal subject of the king. And in that sense, Edwards cannot be classified as American in the modern sense of the word. If we meet Jonathan Edwards in heaven and we say to him, well, you were American, he'll say, no, I wasn't. I was British. So we can claim him as our greatest theologian. Now, why do I mention that? Well, because it's easy for us to look back and make false assumptions of people in the past. And that was the problem with the Jews, even the Jewish Christians in the church in Rome. Paul's been arguing from chapter 3, verse 27, that the doctrine of justification has pastoral implications for our lives. Justification by faith alone means we're certainly not saved by works, and therefore there is no room for boasting. But the Jews objected and said, hold on a minute, what about Abraham? He's got reason for boasting. Surely he was saved by works, and Paul, in verses 1 through 8, responded to that argument. And then, in chapter 3, verse 29, they made the argument, surely God is only the God of the Jews and not the Gentiles. And Paul gave an answer to that, and then they've responded again, Objection, Paul. You see, there's no discrimination, but Abraham was circumcised. He had the sign and the seal that he was a Jew. And you remember Paul's response. When was Abraham circumcised? Was it after he was justified or before he was justified? And it was before. So Abraham, the father of The Jews is also the father, if you like, of all the Gentiles who come to believe. That's what Paul argues in the verses we looked at last Sunday evening. Now you might wonder, why did Paul take such a long time to to respond to these objections? Remember who Paul was. He was a Jew. He wasn't just any Jew. He was the foremost Jew of his day, especially when he was persecuting Christians. And you can bet that the very arguments that these Jews, or the imaginary Jews that he's been responding to in this section, were using arguments that he himself had once employed. And as a wise pastor, and as a seasoned evangelist, he knew he had to take his time with them. What about Abraham? Guys, you've got Abraham wrong. And we see that way of thinking, not just here in Romans chapter 4, but we see it also in Galatians chapter 3. The the, the the Jews thought of Abraham as one who had reason to boast because he was justified by faith and works. They thought of Abraham as the father of the Jews, the, their special father because he was circumcised because he had the Torah. And Paul says, no, 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 what about Abraham? Let's look back at the past and let's see the truth. Well, Paul's going to conclude this section now and if the third objection that was raised at the end of chapter 3 was regarding the law, Paul's now going to put the whole debate is justification by the law to bet. We've got three points tonight. Abraham was not justified by the law. Second point, Abraham was justified by faith. And then finally, Abraham's faith is an example for our faith. So first of all, Abraham was not justified by the law. Look at uh, verses 13 through 15. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. It's interesting. We're we're so used to, aren't we, having worked through chapters 3 and 4, Paul asking a question and then answering it. There's now no question, and there's no answer. There's just this statement. This uncompromising assertion, justification is not by law. Now, Let's turn it into a question. How did God's promise come to Abraham and his offspring? It was not by law. It was by faith. And I suppose the question we need to ask for the promise to Abraham and his, uh, and his offspring is, What was the, what is the promise speaking about here? Well, it refers back to the promise in Genesis chapter 15. The promise where God came to Abraham and said, he said, come. Look up to the sky, see the stars. So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed and God counted it to him as righteousness. It was a promise without any condition or any requirements attached to it. God's word came to Abraham as a promise, not as law. Believe. And that's all Abraham did. And he was saved. Now, do you notice anything different about verse 13? For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. What's the problem there? Genesis 12 said that Abraham would inherit the land. didn't say he would inherit the world. It said that he, his promise was actually he was going to inherit Canaan. And here's Paul, and as, he's re, and as he's using a historical argument, he says, well, actually, the promise for Abraham and offspring was that actually they were going to inherit the world. And that's because that's what the promise of Abraham getting the land and having such a great offspring was always pointing. How could you have an offspring that numbered the stars in the sky for him just to have the land of Canaan? And remember the promise in Genesis 12, we read it this morning. It was that all nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham and his offspring. It was always a a promise pointing to to the whole world. And remember who Abraham's offspring is, in whom all the nations of the earth are blessed. It's Jesus, and Jesus' reign throughout the Old Testament is always prophesied and spoken about as he will reign and rule over the world. So here's the incredible thing. The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through law, but through the righteousness of faith. I can well imagine Paul smiling for just a moment as he made this argument, because he'd once perhaps made the same argument the Jews Jews were making to him, was Abraham not justified by the law? And it's this. The law had not been given to the people in Abraham's day. The Mosaic law was still to come. And so to make the historical argument that Abraham was justified by law, doesn't even make historical sense. The same way that Jonathan Edwards, being the Americas, greatest theologian, does not make historical sense. Abraham did not have the law. How was he saved? It was through Trust, faith in the promises of God. You know what faith requires? You know what law requires? It requires obedience. It's not what God said, obey me and then I'll give you this. God says, this is what I promise you. I promise you an offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. Believe in me. And Abram believed and he was saved. Faith in the promises of God. And so here's Paul and he's trying to dislodge this wrong thinking in the Jews. He's trying to clear up their historical inaccuracies. He's trying to make it so he can make a a theological point. Salvation is by faith alone. Now, what role then does the law have? Look at verse 15. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. It's interesting. The law it doesn't fix our sin problem. The law shows us our sin problem. The law it doesn't eliminate wrath; it produces wrath. If we didn't have the law to show us our transgression, transgression then we would not know that we were in sin. However, we do have the law, and it shows us our sin, and therefore our need. Of a saviour. And so when it comes to God's righteousness, it is not by law, it is by faith. Now, what Paul says next, and this is why I mean this is a really dense section, pay attention, right, verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. See, in the original, verse 16 could read this. Therefore, by faith in order that according to grace. There's no verbs. By faith in order according to grace. This is the point. God is gracious. Salvation originates by grace alone. But in order that that grace may be received, it acquires the empty hand of faith. Grace gives, faith takes. Now, the reason I, I say focus on this statement is because see when he says it, this is why salvation depends on faith, that is a strange way of putting it in order that the promise may rest on grace. like It, it should be In some ways, is it not by grace, then through faith? But he says it's by faith so that it can be of grace. Why put it like that? Because faith is the empty hand that needs to grasp for what it desperately needs, a Savior. Remember the, 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 the old hymn, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Law demands obedience. Failure to keep God's law brings wrath. Faith, therefore, looks to grace. God in Christ provides grace that faith receives. And I know it's one of those quite heady arguments, but God's law makes demands which, we tr- which mean that we transgress and so we incur wrath. God's grace makes promises which we believe so we receive blessings. Now, as Paul continues here, he's made an argument from history about Abraham. He now wants to make an argument from theology about Abraham. Read on with me, verse 16. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. There's a jew gentile unity. And that unity comes from the fact that everyone who has faith alone is saved the same way by faith and is therefore a son or daughter of Abraham. So the amazing thing about faith, unlike law, is that faith unites people. It was the Jews who were making the the, the law argument. It separates us as people and it separates God in their minds to them as people. Now, here's Paul's theological argument. Abraham is the father of all who have faith. He's the father of the circumcised and he's the father of the uncircumcised. He's the father of us all. And here's why. So that the scripture... May be fulfilled. I have made you a father of many nations. Only justification by faith alone, theologically, unites both Jew and Gentile. So here's here's what he's saying: is it's not by law we're saved; it's by faith. And the reason it's so important to know it's by faith is because it's faith that makes us all children of Abraham. And it's faith that unites us. It's faith that puts us on level ground. We all stand condemned. We all receive the same thing. See, if you had it, it was by law. Well, you're going to, you, you've got division. You've got disharmony. You'll have discrimination, but not so with faith and grace. So we've looked at how Abraham said, how Paul says Abraham was not justified by law, how he was justified by faith. Now Paul comes to his positive conclusion or he's, he's building up to Look at what he says halfway through um, verse 17. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. John Stott says in his commentary, Paul moves from the priority of Abraham's faith to the reasonableness of Abraham's faith. Faith is reasonable. That is to say, faith is not irrational. Yes, faith goes beyond reason, but it always has a firmly rational basis. Faith is trusting and believing in a person. And the person we believe in is trustworthy so we can trust him with all confidence. No one is more trustworthy than God himself. And Abraham knew this. And you and I might not realize this, but We've got more reason to trust God than Abraham did. Because we live on this side of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Abraham didn't have this, but he trusted God because he knew two things about God that were incredible. God is the one who can give life to the dead. That is an astonishing fact, and Abraham believed it. And God is also the one who created all things from nothing. Nothing. So Paul, as a theologian, he could reason this way. I look around the world, I look at creation, and I know it's been made by a creator. His invisible attributes are in full display in his general revelation. And he also knew by special revelation this 100-year-old man who was as good as dead, and his wife's womb was dead. They couldn't have children, but if he was going to believe in God who said, I'll give you an offspring... He knew that God is the one who can give life to the dead. And so there's these two amazing realities, creation and resurrection, that give Abraham confidence to believe in God and in hope he believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations. Verse 18, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Why don't you just try and enter into the story for a minute, right? The, the story in Genesis. Abram was an old man, 100 years old. And God says to him, "You're going." he's not got a single child. And God says, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. How hard must that have been to be told that? He knew his wife's womb was dead. That meant all their life they'd been longing for a child, but they couldn't have a child. But Abraham, when he heard the promise in Genesis fifteen five, he believed it. In hope, he believed against hope. Do you know why? Because he knew who God is. He's powerful. And he's faithful. Now, let's just think about that fact that he believed in God because he's powerful. His faith was opposed to appearances. Abram looked at his body, and he knew it was not possible. He looked at Sarah's body, and he knew it was not possible. But faith, we don't live by our sight. We walk by faith. And so in hope, he believed that the God who created all things, brought all things into creation from nothing, could raise the dead. And do you know how we know that, Abram, that sort of faith? Because when... He had the supreme test of his faith to sacrifice his son Isaac. We know that he trusted in the God who could raise Isaac from the dead. He had faith in the power of God. But also he had faith in the reality. He knew that God was faithful. The one who made him this promise could be trusted. As he says what he means, and he means what he says. Look, look at what it, we, we read in verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. So, so when I read that the first time, I've always, and you've, you've probably read it and thought this thing, I read it this first time in the study, I was reminded of the fact, it's interesting it says Abram wavered waver in his faith. Because you, you know the story, he, he did waver any? Remember what happens? God gives them and says, I'm going to make the father of of a great nation. And they're waiting and they're waiting. And Sarah laughs when she hears God say that. And then she comes up with the idea, why don't you sleep with Hagar and we'll bring about our own children. And so I I read it and I thought, you know, it says here afresh that he didn't waver. But the sense in which is if you look over Abram's life from that point of faith that his faith was firmly rooted and grounded in God but faith does subjectively have its ups and downs so when it says we here it's not speaking in the subjective sense it's speaking in the objective sense his faith was in the God in whom he could trust because a God who makes promises is a God who keeps his promises Abraham lived out a faith where he trusted in god and yes it may have fluctuated may, yes it may have went up and down but it never was extinguished he hung on the promises of god despite his own flaws and he was strengthened in his faith i don't go to the gym as you can probably tell and i believe that when you go to the gym and you do muscle workout that the whole idea of the, the way you build your muscles is resistance it's that that causes um, them to, 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 to grow, as it were. The, the resistance. How does our faith grow? Because here, Abraham's faith is described as growing. What well, says, he lived his faith in the light of the fact that there were many obstacles and challenges. He grew strong in his faith, such that it was a faith that gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised that's why he adds that really important line that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness abram's faith grew strengthened it gave glory to God because his God was both powerful and his God was faithful, and he trusted in him. It's not about the character of Abraham's faith so much as it is about the character of Abraham's God. Brothers and sisters, as we think about our own faith in God, we've got to remember we've got every reason to rest our faith firmly and securely in him because of who he is. And now we come to the final point. Abraham's faith is an example for our faith. So Paul says, Jews listening to this, Jewish Christians listening to this, let me tell you why I've been using Abraham. It's because he's an example for you and for me. Verse 22. 23 rather. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It's like when Paul, he, is he... reflects back historically and theologically in Abraham he realizes this whole significance to Abraham's life it's a case study of faith but it's for us if you want to know about the life of faith you can look to Abraham it was it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Like the rest of Scripture, this section of Scripture was written for our instruction. The same faith that Abraham put in God is the same faith that we can put in God and we can have the same result, it being credited to our account righteous. All on the basis of what Jesus has done in his life, death and resurrection. Abraham's faith looked forward, our faith looks backwards. We rest in The finished work of Jesus. We trust in the same powerful God. We trust in the same faithful God. We trust in the same finished work of Jesus. But as I said, in one sense, we've got more reason to place our faith than Abraham did. Because we sit on this side of it all. We see that God was faithful to raise his son from the dead. So he delivered them up. Look at the final verse there. He was delivered up for our trespasses. Jesus was given over in judgment to take the penalty and the punishment we deserve. But here's how we know his death satisfied God's justice because he was raised for our justification. We sinned, therefore, Jesus suffered. We were justified. Therefore, Jesus rose. Now, let me try and apply this just as we finish this section to us. I don't know about you, but I've got a lot in common with Abraham. I know that statement, he did not waver. In my subjective faith life, as it were, instead of living by faith, I often live by sight. And Do you know what that means? I... There are times I get lots of doubts about the Christian life. I've got dear friends of mine who don't live the life of faith, and sometimes I look at their life and I think to myself, the doubt comes in: Have they got it right? Am I wrong? I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Sometimes I face situations in life like the one that's happened this past week, and I just meditate on it for a moment. the, The shooting in Nashville what would happen if the same event happened and I was the dad? Would my faith falter? And the reality is, is that if I know anything about myself is that my faith is up and down. Sometimes it's as small as a mustard seed. But here's the thing about faith. It's not about whether it's weak or strong. It's about the object and who it's in. And the object who we place our faith in is, is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because our faith is in the object of reality that He has finished, completed the work that He has done, we have every reason for confidence. In fact, as Easter Sunday comes, as it approaches us, we're reminded that our faith rests not just in the fact that He finished the work, but He was re- not just in the fact of the Good Friday that He said it's finished but in the fact that on Easter Sunday morning he walked out of the tomb. It is a historical fact that there is an empty tomb in Palestine. It is a historical fact. We read about it in scriptures that there were over 500 people who saw the risen Jesus. That evidence stands in any law court. It is historical fact that Jesus came, lived, died, and was raised. And sometimes when my faith falters, I just need to remind myself of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because his life, death, and resurrection, it defeats my doubts. If he was not raised from the dead, then this is all in vain. I may as well go eat, drink, and be merry. But because he was raised from the dead, I stand here and I proclaim this good news of Jesus. You know, that's not the only thing that I have in common with Abram. I look at Abram's life and I see that there were many moments in his life that he sinned spectacularly. And I know in my life that Abraham was a habitual liar. Remember what he'd say of his wife Sarah? She's not my wife, she's my sister. Abraham slept with Hagar because he wasn't trusting in God's, in, in that moment, and in, in trusting in God's promise to, to, to be done. He, he thought he would take matters into his own hands. And I look at his life and I say, I can't stand in judgment because I sin and I fail. But you know where Abraham's a great example of faith? He looked forward to the day that there would be a savior, who because of his trust in him, because of his work done on his behalf, his perfect life, his sacrificial wrath absorbing death on the cross, he would not pay for his sin in full, but instead he would receive, he received righteousness, the righteous record of Jesus Christ. You know the hardest thing I find about believing about myself, because I know when it comes to the law, I fall so far short and I'm deserving of nothing but the wrath of God. But you know the most humbling thing is because faith alone in Christ alone, all because of grace alone, I'm as righteous as Christ. And even though I may be a spectacular sinner, I have a glorious savior who has made me right, not in anything I've done, but because of everything he has done. And so my faith, like Abram's faith, is a faith that falters and has its doubts. Even as I live the life of faith, I sin, but it's in a trust in a God who has done everything to make me right. The punishment for my sin is paid. The power of sin in in, in, in me... I've given the Holy Spirit so that I can fight it and put it to death. And one day we're going to be saved from the presence of sin when he takes us into the new creation. And do you know what? All of that hope is anchored on. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jonathan Edwards was Britain's greatest theologian, and this is what he preached. Justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, because of grace alone, and to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for this chapter of your word that reminds us and impresses upon us deeply this glorious doctrine of justification. We thank you for this case study of faith in the life of Abram. We thank you that we are sons and daughters of Abram in that sense, as those who trust you. And we thank you that even as we live this life of faith, we are we are to live by faith and not by sight. We're to fix our eyes on you, to take our eyes off ourselves, upward look to Jesus, the one who put an end to all of our sins, And so, God, we pray that we would live as people of faith. We thank you that our faith is rooted and anchored in the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you that we worship and serve a living, conquering king. We thank you that means that we've got hope in the face of death. We thank you that means we've got power in the presence of sin. We thank you the difference that christ's resurrection has made to our life his life his death his resurrection we praise you for all in jesus name amen